I uh, said at the beginning, welcome to Kerry and Guy, who've joined us. They live in Malvern to come out. And uh, Guy is, uh, as I said at the start, he's a friend of ours. He, he knows Jamie Cox, who's the, uh, the pastor, the minister at Bidford Baptist, really well from days in Canada. Uh, but you've kind of come over to the UK and uh, writing and doing your thing. Um, we've got some books of yours over there, which I'm sure you might tell us about. But we want to pray for you and we're so glad you're here. Father, we thank you for Guy. Thank you that he loves you, that he loves your words that he loves to communicate uh, truth and in the, the power of the Lord. And I pray that in the message that he shares with us, uh, let it not just be nice thoughts, but impactful and life-changing that would reshape our thinking about, about Jesus and about what he means in life in May in the North Cotswolds and onwards. Lord, disciple us through the word and through your servant, Yi. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, God bless you. Thank you for your welcome. Thank you for extending the privilege of the pulpit. Just for a moment, would you turn to your neighbor and, and smile? And imagine what your life would be like if they were a kinder person. <laughs> now, before you say anything, be very careful if you're sitting beside your spouse. <laughs> to, to, to move this forward, I need to tell you a little bit about my story. I grew up in an unchurched family. Uh, as a teen, I started going to a high school ministry called Young Life. Uh, I went for one reason. There were lots of pretty girls. Not many guys. I thought I might have a chance. It wasn't very long before I was taken with the quality of their friendships. It was quite the contrast to the guys that I was hanging about with. And uh, it, it was a, one of those see-how-they-love-one-another deals. I didn't know it then, but 1,800 years previously, that's how the church father Chrysostom described the early church to the Romans. See how they love one another. That, that love is, always has been, the most compelling gospel witness. And that's what I was seeing in, in these teens. Their, their love for one another, their love for me. But when I looked in here, it wasn't particularly pretty. A little while later, I got very drunk one night, watched the sunset, said, God, if you're there, I've made a mess of things. If you want my life, you can have it, do with it whatever you want. It was a few days later that I told my new Christian friends about that evening, and, and um, they helped me make a little more orthodox confession of faith, and, and, and that was my beginning. It was two years before I ever went to church. 
It did so because one of the guys in the youth group was grew up in the church, and he, he kept pestering the youth group to come and try his church, and, and more to shut him up than anything else. We finally relented, and, and one Sunday night, 80 of us rocked up to this little Baptist church. There are about 80 of them. 20 of us had come on our motorcycles. Um, I think we freaked them out more than they freaked us out, but it, it was a close call. Um, I found out years later that the pastor was very discerning. After that evening service, he called an emergency deacons meeting. He said, guys, we have a choice. We can either stay as we are and basically kiss these kids goodbye, or we can make a lot of changes very quickly and perhaps have the privilege of discipling these kids. He was also a pretty good preacher. So we were quite keen, actually, to come back the following Sunday. And we were so impressed when we did. Because in the space of the week, they had repainted the car park. And right in front of the main doors, they had designated motorcycle parking. (laughs) Big sign on the wall, motorcycles only. And when we came in, all the polyester was gone. The bad ties, gone. They'd moved off the organ onto the piano. They were singing choruses. The end of that service, one of their elders couples, elder couples, that doesn't sound right. Anyway, a couple that were elders came, introduced themselves to me and a bunch of my buddies, and after a little bit, invited us to their house Friday night for a barbecue. Well, we'll eat. We showed up. After the barbecue, we played penny poker. Every Friday night thereafter, my buddies and I met at Faye and Ray Binkley's house to play penny poker. Now, now please understand, formerly, these folks were strict Big B Baptists. They didn't play cards. They certainly didn't play poker but they wanted us in their house Friday nights rather than out doing what we used to be doing Friday nights. And and it was there at Faye and Ray Binkley's dining room table that I had my earliest discipleship. That church's radical inclusivity, Faye and Ray Binkley's willingness to receive us just as we were, That left a very deep imprint on my spirit, my understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and just so we don't miss it, that radical inclusivity is an aspect, a simple aspect of practical kindness. In the years to follow, I somehow managed to drop the ball. I was memorizing a lot of scripture, just so there's no misunderstanding, um, that wasn't the problem. I was actively witnessing to my fellow uni students, and, and again, that's a good thing. Part of the problem was I was reading philosophy, and I was used to a good argument. In terms of my witnessing, scripture was my ammunition. 
But I gradually realized that the more Scripture I learned, the meaner I got. And again, that's not the Scripture's fault. <laughs> it was me often attempting to ram graceless truth down somebody's throat. And I slowly learned that you'd never win an argument. Not really. You, you can't say you won if you've humiliated somebody into defeat. Now, anchor these two contrasting stories in the Gospel of John. Chapter 1, verses 14, and then 16 to 18. The Word, Jesus became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. From His full store, we've all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. God's only Son, He who is nearest to the Father's heart, He has made Him known. Now, from that short passage, please note, the Gospel is all about grace and truth. It's not grace or truth. And there's a divine order. Grace before truth. Frey and Ray Binkley opened their home, opened their hearts to us. And it was their kindnesses, grace upon grace, that opened and touched our hearts. It earned them the right to speak truth into our teenage lives. If at the outset they had spoke truth on the forefront, we never would have come back. We wouldn't have been seen again. They would have been right in saying all the stuff that was wrong about the way we were living. We just wouldn't have been around to hear it. Now, we need to employ a rather sophisticated technical theological word for the tension that's required to hold grace and truth together. It's messy. Grace and truth for those who have made a mess of things, who are making a mess of things, who are one dumb decision from making a mess of things. I figure that just about includes all of us there. Thing is, there's something in us that doesn't quite like a mess. Um, in the edition prior to the 2011 revision of the NIV, in Luke 7, 36, there's the story of the woman who, had, who came to Jesus and anointed his feet with perfume, wiped the tears of her devotion with her hair. Verse 37 introduced her as a woman who had lived a sinful life. But the verb in the Greek isn't a past tense, had lived. 
the revised English and then the subsequent revision, the NIV translates it correctly. This woman was living a sinful life. I watched some of you glaze over when we even started a little bit of grammar. This is a big deal. Because it's the difference between law and gospel. Because did this woman quit sinning, straighten out her life, and then come to Jesus? Or from the midst of the mess that she was making of things, did she come and receive the love and the acceptance that enabled her then to begin transforming her life? good news is that she and we come from the midst of the mess. Just as we are. That's why the divine order, grace before truth. Let's shift things slightly. When somebody gets into trouble, really gets into, the, into a mess, are they more likely to head for the local pub or the local church? A man named J.R. Moringer headed for the pub in his memoir, The Tender Bar. These are the opening lines. We went there, the pub, for everything we needed. We went there when thirsty, of course, when hungry, when dead tired. We went there to ha- when happy to celebrate, when sad to sulk. We went there after weddings and funerals for something to settle our nerves and always for a shot of courage before. We went there when we didn't know what we needed, hoping that someone would tell us. We went there looking for love or for someone who'd gone missing because sooner or later everyone turned up. Most of all, we went there when we needed to be found. Quick moment of reflection. Is that how you think of this church? Do you come here for everything you need? Come when you're thirsty, when you're hungry, when you're dead tired? Do you come here when you're happy to celebrate? When sad, hopefully not to sulk, but to be comforted? Do you come for courage? Do you come to church when you don't know what you need, but you hope that someone will tell you? You come looking for love. Most of all, do you come needing to be found? I I think that's a terrific description of church, what church ought to be. Certainly, it's a telling description of what the, the world needs church to be. This embodiment of grace and truth. However, in the little book of Zechariah, there's a rather personal question posed. What are these wounds? The answer is really Quite desperate. I got them in the house of my friends. Now please, 
do not raise your hands. But how many of you have been wounded in church? How many of you know somebody who's been so wounded in church, they don't come anymore? They will not come anymore. They still have a relationship with God, but they will not darken the door of a local church. Tear Fund did a survey a few years back. They called these folks the de-churched. Still have a relationship with God, but will not be part of the local church family. The de-church outnumber the churched. You ready for this? Two to one. There are twice as many wounded, cynical, hurt believers who won't come to church as there are faithful few. Now, question, how many of those wounds do you think were inflicted because somebody was excessively gracious? How many of those folks do you think came the last time to church and said, if they are kind to me one more time, I'm out of here. That's it. I'm not going to take that any longer. How many of them do you think were wounded by an abuse of the truth? I've certainly been subjected to graceless truth. Times when people might have been right in what they were saying, but wrong in the spirit in which they were speaking that truth. And that's why grace has to precede truth or it's not good news. Because it's the experience of grace that softens our hearts and then opens our spirits so that the truth can be received. Otherwise, most of the time, we're too defensive. Think for a moment about a critical time in your life when you most needed somebody's help. What was it that made the difference? Certainly the people that have had the greatest impact on my life have done so because they loved me. In a moment of crisis, what made the difference was that somebody was there with me. They were listening attentively. They, they demonstrated unconditional acceptance. And, and they brought a revelation of the heart of God into what I was facing. They demonstrated practical kindness. So far, so good? Galatians 5.19, the Apostle Paul listed some of the things that characterize what he calls the works of the flesh. It's not a particularly happy list. Sexual immorality, immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalry, dissension, faction, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. At the end of the day, that's a description of life when we try to meet our own needs. When we try to get our own way. 
when we try to exercise control over our little worlds. The Apostle Paul was contrasting things in that passage. And having described the works of the flesh, we'd be inclined for him to then describe the works of the Spirit. Grammatically, he, he should have balanced his syntax, subject and predicate, but he didn't. And he didn't balance things for a very good reason. Because theology trumps grammar. There's a supernatural more at work in life. And so it's not the works of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. At the end of the day, it's those things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, those things make us truly human. They make us fully alive. But gritting our teeth and, and attempting to will love and kindness and patience don't get us very far at all, do they? Because it's not work. It's fruit. Galatians 5.16, just verses before Paul wrote about the fruit of the Spirit, the Apostle said we're to be guided by the Spirit. Verse 18, we're to be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, the Spirit is the source of our lives. He directs its course. That because in Christ we live by the Spirit. Chapter 6, verse 1. All of these things, bearing fruit, being guided, led, directed, living by the Spirit, none of that is passive we're not called to sit on our bums, suck our thumbs till Jesus comes. Back to Galatians 5.19. Works of the flesh all work social discord. They, they describe relational distortion. Relational breakdown. Sexual immorality is sex without committed intimacy. Sorcery is power and control over another person. Strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness. When they're at work, they make a mess of our relationships. And in contrast, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, they all restore. They repair. They heal. They redeem our broken relationships. That's what the Spirit purposes to guide us into. That's where He's leading us, what He's directing us towards, the healing and the redeeming of broken relationships. Think way back to Galatians Sorry, Galatians. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make human beings in our image after our likeness. There's an all-important distinction here between image and likeness. Every single human being is made in the image of God. Even the most barbaric human 
still made in the image of God. The trouble is they don't bear any likeness. The image denotes our potential for life in God. The likeness is the realization of that potential. That's where we all live, in between image and likeness, potential and realization. The Lord Jesus purposes to take our image and conform it to His likeness. Here and now. The Apostle Paul declared the ultimate standard. He said, if I have no love, I am nothing. Still bear the image of God, just don't have any likeness. Because God is love. We haven't lived up to our potential. So almost done here. What, what will life look like for you in a year from now? What will life be like for you five years from now? How about ten? Think corporately for a moment. What will the church be like? for you a year from now, five years, ten years? It's really the same answer. Who knows? But the big question, will you be kinder than you presently are one year, five years, ten years from now? Personally, corporately, will you be kinder? God is kind. His loving kindness endures forever. We're made in His image. Again, the question, do we bear any likeness? Because if we're not growing in kindness, we're doing something fundamentally wrong. The phrase, commit to kindness, is the title of the first chapter of my new book, It's Not Fair. It's grounded in Colossians 3.12, where the Apostle Paul said, as God's people, holy and dearly beloved, we are to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Literally, we are to clothe ourselves with kindness. We're so committed to this that, that we created a logo and a small product line. We, we did up some t-shirts. It says, commit to kindness. As we've thought about it, the, the, the challenge is to be the T. Because buying a t-shirt won't change you, won't change the world. The challenge is to be what it is you're declaring. And I have to say that wearing my t-shirt is changing the way I conduct myself. I know what I'm broadcasting, and I know that there has to be a congruity with what people are reading and the way I'm treating them. And there, there have been some rather awkward sort of half steps, as it were, when I kind of catch myself butting in line or starting to say a snarky word or when I'm driving and a boy racer cuts me off again. I, I um, carries a big help there. 
Um, the thing is, I'm a kinder person when my t-shirt's in the laundry basket because I know I own it. And, and I know it's starting to work deep into my heart and spirit. And that's nothing short of transformative. It's nothing short of revolutionary. Again, when I think back to my dark and desperate times, what made the difference was that somebody went for a walk with me. Somebody fed me. Somebody took me for a game of golf. Somebody bought me a pint. It was their practical kindness. I very, very rarely remember what anybody said to me during those times. I'm sure that they spoke truth to me, but it was their kindness that made the biggest difference. Now, I'm not diminishing the power of truth. Not at all. But if the kindness doesn't go before it, we're just not in the right place to receive it. I hope that you'll buy my new book. I think it's pretty good. I hope you'll buy a t-shirt. I hope you'll go to our website. It's just geeshavro.com. Click on the Commit to Kindness tab. If you have a personal story of how kindness really touched and changed your life, I'd really encourage you to post it. We, we, this, I never thought these words would come out of my mouth. I've started a blog. <laughs> We'd like to post these kindness stories. Because the beautiful thing about kindness is it's really pretty simple. Kindness really isn't very tricky. It's actually pretty hard to get kindness wrong. But it does change people's lives. Makes a massive difference. So would you just smile at your neighbor again? Think a kind thought towards them. See, as we commit to kindness, we are not on our own. Because it gives the Holy Spirit inordinate pleasure to bestow on us the grace of excessive kindness. If this has stirred something in you, well, I'm going to ask you all to stand just so don't single anybody out. But if this has stirred something in you, as you stand, would you put your hand on your heart? Because this is a matter of the heart. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit if He would grant unto us the grace of excessive kindness. I can see some of you spinning, kind of going, I'm not sure I know what that's going to mean. No, you won't. That's okay. If you're willing to allow the Holy Spirit to do all that He needs to do in you, so he can do all that he wants to do through you. Would you stand, please?
Father, I so thank you for your loving kindness towards me. Time and time and time again. Father, together we thank you for your loving kindness that never fails. Lord, we thank you for those people who played such key roles in our lives when we needed somebody most and the kindnesses that they showed us. Again, I thank you for Faye and for Ray for opening their homes to us. Lord, for grace, for truth, For the redemption that You have worked in our lives, Lord, we bless Your holy name. Lord, with hand on heart, we make our offering to You this morning. A new offering. An offering again. Holy Spirit, in offering ourselves, we do ask for that grace of excessive kindness. Your work bearing fruit in our lives, through our lives. Kindness towards our loved ones. Kindness to our work associates. Kindness to complete strangers. Holy Spirit, all that you have to do in us to change the way we think, to change the way we react, change the way we process, by your grace, we would be kinder people next month, next year, in the years to come. That kindness would become our reputation above all else. That your work, the fruit that you bear in our lives would be such a compelling witness that lives are changed, lives are opened, that there is grace to hear truth that transforms. Lord, for grace upon grace, we thank you. And we do so bless your holy name. Amen.